0: Our lesson tonight from Micah chapter seven, part two. We'll be covering the second part of Micah seven, Sins into the Sea. Micah seven, starting at verse 11, which is carry over from the first part of the chapter. It's kind of a, a bridge verse. In the day when your walls are to be built, the decree shall go far and wide. In that day, they shall come to you from Assyria and the fortified cities, from the fortresses to the river, from the mountain to the mountain and to the sea to sea. Yet the land shall be desolate because of the de- deeds of those who dwell in it. So that's kind of an interesting three verses there. The first two verses are saying, people are going to flock to you from all over the world, from sea to sea, mountain to mountain, or even from Assyria, they're going to come, and the fortified cities, they're going to come to you, but yet the land is going to be desolate. And like I said, it's a carryover from... From uh, the first part that we looked at the other week, uh, the first part of the chapter, which talked about um, <clears throat> the sons betraying the parents, parents betraying the children, and brothers betraying sisters, and sisters betraying uh, brothers and, 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 and fighting against each other, um, and the Lord's day of his wrath coming in judgment, old judgment seen upon the wicked. And so here, again, we have this last day analogy carrying over, which we're going to cover in the second part today, on more of the aspect of the judgment and the separation of the righteous and the wicked. So here are those that are coming to the Lord from all over the world, from mountain to mountain, sea to sea, are coming and coming to the Lord. And that describes the Lord then taking us to heaven and leaving the earth desolate. The earth will be empty because the wicked will be destroyed, we'll see that a little bit more as we continue on, verse 14, shepherd your people, praying to God, Micah's praying to the Lord, calling the Lord to be the shepherd, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your heritage, you dwell solitarily in the woodland, in the midst of Carmel, let them feed in Bashan and in Gilead, as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them wonders. So Micah prays the Lord, and God promises, just as I took you out of Egypt, again the deliverance, out of bondage, and into the promised land. So again, that last day analogy of taking us from this earth and taking us to heaven. God will protect us. He will take care of us as he's praying through this troublous time when people are betraying one another and people are turning their backs on you. Shepherd us, protect us, guide and direct us, and help us, be with us through the storm through the troubles. Verse 16, The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth, and their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. So again, clearly the last day prophecy. So these nations that have ruled, the nations that have spoken angrily, at the coming of the Lord, they will have to shut their mouths and seal their ears, and they will be ashamed of their evil deeds. Not repentant, but ashamed of their evil deeds, and they will fear. In Revelation, I think also in Isaiah, it says, that they will cry out for the rocks and the hills to fall on them and to hide them out of fear of the Lord. In Revelation, it calls them, calls it to out of fear of the Lamb of God, which I always think is an interesting analogy. Hide us from the face of the Lamb, the scary Lamb, the fierce Lamb, who's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah.
1: They don't say, hide us from the face of the Lion,
0: they say, hide us from the face of the Lamb. And we'll see that it's his love that terrifies them the most. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever, for he delights in mercy. The Lamb of God, who delights in mercy. Yes, he is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but he prefers to be the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. He's able to do both. He's able to be the judge. He's able to come with wrath. He's able to destroy the wicked. But he loves to pardon iniquity, not retaining his anger. loves to pass by that, passing over our transgressions, not of those who refuse to repent, but of the remnant of his heritage, those, the few, the remnant, the last remaining bit, of God's heritage, who have surrendered their lives to the Lord, who've given themselves to him, who've come from mountain to mountain, from sea to sea, from fortified cities from all over the earth, and have come to the Lord God, and are drawn by the Lamb, are drawn by his love. Because who's a God like him? What other God out there pardons iniquity? All the other gods are fierce and fearful and of wrath. There's no other God who provides a way of forgiveness for sins. And Micah declares that. Who is a God like unto you who forgives sins, who pardons iniquities, who sets the captives free, who releases, of us, who releases us of our guilt. And more than just forgiving, sets us free from the power of sin and establishes us as his children, who delight in being merciful. Now the world has painted God in, 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 in again, you got the two... Two errors, the two ditches. One that God is so fierce and so angry and so mean. But the other that He is so just loving that He just opens the door to just everybody and anyone. That He doesn't care what we do. He doesn't care how we live. He doesn't care how we treat one another. He just forgives, and not a biblical forgiveness, but just a closing of His eyes, shutting of His ears, and saying, I don't want to know about it. I don't want to hear your complaint whatever, you're good, I'm good, we're all good, it's all good. That's not what it means when it says he pardons iniquity and he delights in mercy. That's why Throughout this chapter, it balances out what he does to the wicked, as well as his love to those who repent of their wickedness. Of course, we're all wicked to start with. We're all born wicked to start with. We've all made mistakes along the way but it's those who repent of those mistakes, who confess them, who come to God asking for help and deliverance and accept his power to change, accept his forgiveness, accept his sacrifice in our behalf as the lamb dying for us, as the substitute standing in our place, pardoning us, paying the price for us. Not just saying, oh, it was okay. He's saying, It was wrong, but I paid the price. And I don't want you to do it again, so I'll give you the power. I'll come inside you. I'll live inside you. I'll transform you. I'll change your mind. I'll give you a new heart and a new mind. I'll write my laws inside you so that you won't want to do that anymore. You won't desire to do that anymore, and I'll give you the power not to do it anymore. I will change you. The full picture of God's pardoning I mean, we use that word pardoning in the United States. The the governor of a state can pardon convicts under him. The president of the United States can pardon, and, and they usually do on their last day of office. Pardon a prisoner. Let them go. But the expectation is not that they're going to continue and just do the sin again, that they're going to do the crime again. A wise president or wanting authority to pardon someone would pardon it based on, I'm not saying they do this, (laughs) but would pardon based on that the person has shown reform in their life. That they've shown sorrow and a desire not to continue in that way. Not just for political reasons. That would be under, of course, under an ideal setting. But God doesn't pardon us so that we continue in sin. He pardons us to set us free from sin. Not just the punishment of sin, but sets us free from the continuing in sin. He loves and delights in mercy. Who would delight in mercy if we're overlooking a fault and the person continues to do that fault? What teacher would be happy in delighting in showing mercy to the student who is hitting the other kids and interrupting the class and throwing things at the teacher. And the teacher says, oh, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And the student just goes, would that be delight? I mean, unless they're sadistic, what kind of teacher would delight in that kind of vision of mercy or parent? Or a law enforcement officer would delight in that version of mercy. That's not biblical mercy. That's lunacy. I don't know if that's a word, but whatever, it's crazy. <laughs> I'm but God delights in mercy because he does the full picture. He forgives because he paid the price. And he transforms because he's alive to give us of his spirit. And in that, he can delight in a new person, in a person whose life has been changed, a person whose life went from being someone who was terrorizing themselves and terrorizing others and defaming God, to someone now who is a blessing to humanity, a blessing to God, and a blessing to themselves. That he can delight in. And all can delight in that. Everyone can delight in that. That's the type of mercy and pardoning that God pictures, that the Bible presents to us when he passes over our transgressions. And there's no other God like that. There's no other picture of any God out there that has a balanced view of a savior who's able to judge iniquity and punish wrong and yet forgive repentant sinners. He will have compassion on us again and subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So he subdues the iniquities. He doesn't let them continue. He doesn't let them to flourish. And again, the, 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 the crazy view of mercy and forgiveness that just allows it to continue is not subduing it, it's actually increasing it. I say this is illegal, but everybody's doing it anyway, so we'll make it legal now. That's not subduing it, that's increasing it. Allowing the student or the child or the person to do wrong and not holding them accountable for that just as increases their desire to do it and to the extent that they do it. And it increases other than them following the example. But the way God does it, the way God pardons iniquity, the reason God delights in mercy is because he has compassion upon us, not upon the sin, but upon the person, and he subdues the iniquity, gives us victory and control over sin. And he takes our sins and doesn't feed it to us, Doesn't allow it to continue, but he casts it into the depths of the sea. Well, how deep is the depths of the sea? Here's a picture of the Mariana Trench, right outside of um, Guam area, out in the Pacific. And it's interesting how deep it is there, and there's a volcano right next to it that goes all the way up and is an island. Uh, So you got the different sections there. At the bottom, it's amazing, down to the depths of the sea, This is so amazing. God is so amazing. There are creatures living down in the depths in the bottom of this thing. This thing is seven miles deep, which is very deep. Maybe you don't concept how far seven miles is in, but it's deep. Sunlight doesn't get down there. But there are creatures living down there. This cuddly-looking thing lives down there. This is a Dumbo octopus. That's the common term. I'm sure it's got some kind of Latin term as well. But Dumbo octopus, it has these kind of ear things, looks kind of like Dumbo, the elephant thing. They call it a Dumbo octopus. He lives down there. He lives down in the trench, down there in the depths of the sea. This guy lives down there too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If If you see them, you're down too deep, right? And this guy, now you're really in trouble. This guy is called the football fish by some. Other other people call it the angler fish. If you've ever seen the the movie Nemo, you're familiar with this guy, down, down, down in the depths of the trench, and Nemo goes down there and sees a little light because that little thing on the top makes a little light. Amazing. This fish never sees light. Sunlight doesn't get down there, but it has an internal light that shines out of this little thing, and it draws fish, and when it draws the fish to the light, <laughs> it's a false light, right? Now, what did that evolve from? I mean, you, you listen to this stupid evolution that's describing these fish and these things as they research this, they all say, it evolved. What did it evolve from? How did it evolve? A fish accidentally sunk down there, got lost and swam down there, and said, wow, it's dark down here. I'm going to evolve into something different. You know, a bunch of them went down. You need at least two of them dumb enough to go down there. (laughs) And and the pressure down there is unbelievable. Three humans have gone down there so far. And a couple other times they sent down just an unmanned submarine to take pictures. Uh, And that's just in one section. This thing is so long. This trench is five times, well it's five times wider than the Grand Canyon. It's five times longer than the Grand Canyon. It's from Tampa to New York. That's how long the trench is. So these five or so things that they sent down there, the three humans and the, and the other couple, or however many more, is not surveying the whole thing. They're just dropping it down in one section. When the humans went down, they were down there for like 20 minutes, and they were, took four hours to go down, three hours to go up, because they were saying, get me out of here. <laughs> but, they were only down there for about 20 minutes, so they spent a lot of time down there. Well, one guy I was down there, he said, well, one window cracked. Unfortunately, water didn't get in, but it, it, it broke the window. Cracked the window, anyway. And, uh, and another guy said in the other submarine that he was down in that the whole thing went in three inches. The front window came in three inches. The whole thing just crushed. Uh, so, yeah, the, the pressure down there. So how could something evolve down there? Something goes, again, swims down there, and then its offspring is going to be mutated to be able to handle that kind of pressure. It wouldn't survive to even have a child. So it mutated up on the, you know, in, the, in the high seas. That mutated, oh, I can handle a lot of pressure. I'm going to go down there and show it off. And you'd have to do that for every single creature down there. And there's a bunch of creatures down there. Each one of them would have to have this amazing transformation take place. And be able to live in the dark, to be able to catch fish in unique ways, to be able to handle pressure. So many different mutations would have to take place in every single one of these creatures just to survive down there. And then they'd have to find their way down there, because obviously they didn't grow down there. There is a single cell. Uh, organism, amoeba, whatever, uh, that's four inches long that they haven't found other than down there. One person even said, you mean, uh, Life might have started down there. Well, then how did it get up? how they say, Hey, you know, let's try it up there and, and be able to then take non pressure? Anytime they bring these up, they die because they can't handle outside the pressure. I guess they. Explode! I don't know what happens <laughs> to them. <but laughs> well, there is one. I, I didn't put a picture on there. It's this funny-looking thing. It looks like a, a kind of like a human. It's got this kind of big nose, the big uh, lips, uh, because it blows up when it comes up, because it's used to the pressure holding it all together, looking normal, and then when they bring it up, it just bloops. <laughs> Blobfish. Anyway. So, yes, so that's down there, these things are down there in the depths of the sea where God places our sins, down to the depths of the sea. Another guy said they saw your sins down there, but again, they didn't search the whole trench yet. (laughs) They only got the one little section that the submarine dropped down to, and the thing is, again, from Tampa to New York, it's pretty big, pretty long. It would be forever before they searched that whole thing out, and the only creatures they saw, again, is in that section. And just because those creatures were in that section, that doesn't mean those creatures are all the way along. Any more than the creatures we have in Tampa or the plants we have in Tampa are the exact plants they have in New York or the creatures they have in New York. So there could be something else all the way up on a different part of the trench that they haven't even seen yet other than where they've sunk their few different expeditions. Down into the, how deep? Okay, how deep is the sea? Maximum depth for a scuba diver 40 meters Height of the Eiffel Tower 301 meters Depth that a blue whale can dive 500 meters The end of sunlight at a thousand meters. Lowest point of the Grand Canyon, that's a mile, a mile down. Titanic on the bottom. 8,850 meters the height of Mount Everest turned upside down five miles give or take five and a half miles James Cameron he's one of the guys that went down he went down almost all the way to the bottom bottom of the trench 11,000 meters down. Pretty deep, huh? Yeah, a lot of zins to fill that up, that's right. I think that made it look a lot deeper as it is than seven miles, right? You can't picture seven miles. But so it's deeper, it's almost two miles deeper than Mount Everest would be, the height of Mount Everest, from the top to the bottom. As deep. Down, so he will have compassion on us again and subdue our iniquities. He casts all our sins into the depths of the sea, down to the bottom. He casts our sins. In other words, so far from us, it's removed from us. Right? Nemo drops his, or the guy drops the goggles, of, <laughs> and Nemo goes down there and gets the goggles, or his dad gets right. His dad goes down there and gets the goggles. Well, your sins go down there. You ain't getting them. God puts them down there, and they are removed from us. That's the picture God wants to paint for us, that they are removed so far from us that we can't go back and get them. Thus, we cannot continue in them. The angel told Miriam and Yosef that they should call their child Yeshua, for he will save the people, from their sins. He doesn't save us in the sins, he doesn't save us continuing sins, but he saves us from the sin. Someone saved you from drowning, It means they pulled you out of the water. They don't just drive, float by and say, it's all good. You're OK, I'm OK. It's not too deep, keep treading throw you a biscuit. Then they save you from the water by taking you out of the water. He saves us from the sin by taking us out of sin. There was a guy in a congregation once, and he just used to love to praise the Lord and amen and all this. And, and there was a dentist in the congregation. It just irked him. He hated that. He was more of a quiet type. And... Uh, this guy would always seem to sit next to the dentist or near the dentist. Even the dentist would move to the other side. It seemed like that guy would move then too. Always praise the Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Oh, he hated it. He hated it. He talked to the minister and everybody. Oh, I hate it. He'd, man, quiet. Quiet that guy down. Well, the guy needed his teeth worked on, and so he went to his buddy, the dentist. And the dentist looks out and sees him in the waiting room, and he goes, oh, man. And there the guy is. Well, he heard him. He, he, Back, and the guy was reading his Bible, and he hears, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! And he goes, I recognize that voice. And he looks out there, and sure enough, there's the guy. And he goes, Oh man, now he's in my office. He's following me everywhere. He's going to turn away all my patience. What am I going to do? So he goes out there, and he says, Here, look, there's some interesting articles in this National Geographic I want you to read. And uh, so if you can read these, and we'll talk about them when you come in the back. He goes, That'll shut him up. So he goes back. In the back, he goes, "Praise the Lord, praise the Lord." Goes out there and says, "What are you praising the Lord in the National Geographic?" He says, "Says right here, the Mariana Trench is seven miles deep. Seven miles." Then this says, "So what?" He says, "The Bible says God cast my sins into the depths of the sea, seven miles deep. He has set me free. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord." And we should praise the Lord, because God has removed. Another place in the Bible says, "As far as the east is from the west, right? It's impossible to go in those two directions at the same time." That's why it's just as far. You're going west, you can't be going east. You can't be going east and be going west. It's totally diametrically opposed. He separates our sins from us, so that we no longer continue in them. We are set free. And if the sun has set you free, you are free, definitely completely free. That's what the gospel is about. A God who takes us in our sinful, carnal nature and sets us free. Not a God who adapts to us. Oh, well, in this day and age, this is how they like to live, and that's, well, we'll just accept that. No. God doesn't change with us. God changes us. I doesn't adapt to the latest, craziest fad or idea or thought or whatever we feel or whatever we think we are. God changes us to what he created us to be, what he desired us to be from the very beginning. He changes us. We don't change him. He takes our sins and he casts them, and there's a beautiful picture. He washes them away out into the sea. Kind of like Tashlik. Take the bread and cast them into the sea and remove from us at Rosh Hashanah. The symbolism that they've taken and they float away and they float down out into the Pacific and down into the depths of the sea. Let them fish eat it down there or something. Gone. Removed from it. Let the, the Dumbo octopus eat it up or whatever. It's removed from us. Gone from us. Maybe that's why those creatures down there are so weird looking. (laughs) They're dealing with all our sins down there, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Or maybe God has a sense of humor, and God is an amazing God, an amazing creator. He loves diversity, and is not only a great creator, but creative. He loves to create different things because he is God. That testifies that God is alive and real and powerful. And if God can create a Dumbo octopus and a football anglerfish and make it live down in that depths of the sea under all that pressure and adapt it to be able to live that way, to be able to survive that way, Be able to live in the dark. Some of them have eyes, some of them don't have eyes. Some glow. Some have internal flashlights. God can do that for a fish. You think God can give us power and victory so that when we go through the pressures of life, that he can give us the ability to withstand it. We can survive through the pressures, through the dark days, through the troubles, through the struggles, surrounded with the sins of the world. That God can give us the ability to miraculously survive and thrive even under those conditions. God created those animals so unique and diverse from everything else, He's created you unique and diverse. He created them specially to survive under those conditions, and God created you special. And especially for the calling that he has upon you, for the life that he has for you, for the career that he has for you, for the reason for your being. Our God is a wonderful God. And I don't know if Micah knew about the Mariana Trance or not, but the concept that the sins are removed from us and gone from us its an amazing thing. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. So again, God's mercy is meshed with truth, not apart from truth doesn't say he gives confusion to Jacob when he's giving mercy to Abraham. He doesn't give disobedience and license to sin. God doesn't feed us lies to tell us to do things and then say, well, you can't do them anyway. He gives truth with mercy. What kind of God is like unto you, O Lord our God? Mikamoka, who is like unto thee, O Lord? Pardons iniquity, who has truth and mercy blended together. There's no other God like that. The Greeks needed so many gods because they couldn't picture a God who was properly blended. So they needed a God for this and a God for that, a God of love and a God of thunder and a God of destruction. But God is a beautiful blend truth and mercy. The Bible says truth and mercy have kissed. That's the beauty of God. And where does truth and mercy kiss? Where does truth and mercy come together? At the mercy seat of God. In the sanctuary. In the Holy of Holies. And underneath the mercy seat? What's underneath the mercy seat? In the Ark of the Covenant? In the Holy of Holies? What's underneath the mercy seat? The Ten Commandments. Truth and mercy have kissed. Truth and mercy have blend together. A law and a standard. And yet love and mercy and grace. Forgiveness. And it blends together on the Day of Atonement. When the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, goes into the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh Kodeshim, and seven times sprinkles blood upon the mercy seat to grant forgiveness. God gives truth to us. So he he pardons us, and he delights in mercy, and then he gives us truth. Again, his mercy doesn't remove truth, doesn't remove the law. God's mercy establishes the law. God removing the iniquity from us and casting it into the depths of the sea gives us victory over the sin so that we can now live in truth and righteousness and in holiness. What a God. What a powerful God who's able to change our hearts and change us from disobedient to obedient. I love this quote from this book, Ministry of Healing. Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible, than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merit of the Savior. It's interesting, I prepared this sermon a few weeks ago and had this quote in, this, in, in the slides already. And in last week, when we had the guest speakers on health, they quoted from this text. Nothing apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merit of the Savior by prayer, by the study of his word, by faith in his abiding presence, the weakest of human beings may live in contact with the living Messiah, and he will hold them by a hand that will never let them go. You want to be invincible? Then realize you're nothing. Nothing is more invincible, yet apparently more helpless than the ones who feel their nothingness. I can do nothing but rely wholly, completely, 100% on God. He's taken our sins away. In us is no good thing, only in him, him dwelling in us. And by praying and studying by faith, holding on to him, and he will hold us and will not let us go. Nothing more invincible than that. Want to be invincible? Go through the judgment? Live to the end? Translate it to heaven? Make it through the time of trouble when brothers and sisters are deceiving one another? spouses, and parents, children. Nothing more invincible. Sensing our nothingness and relying wholly upon a Savior who has pardoned our iniquity and has filled us with his truth. As we pray, if there's a sin in your life, anything still on the record that you haven't confessed, that hasn't been removed, that hasn't been cast into the depths of the sea, let God set you free. Let him save you from it. Let him save you from its power over your life. Let him save you from the guilt. Let him save you from the torment. Let him save you from the punishment. Let him cast it into the depths of the sea. Maybe something so-called small or something big Surrender it to the Lord. And let him free you from it and set you free. Let it drift down, seven miles down, 36,000 feet into the depths of the sea removed from you. If you're needing God's truth, you're needing God's strength, maybe you're going through some stress and some pressure in your life, maybe some dark place in your life, hold fast to God. Rely wholly on him, and he will hold you by a hand that will not let you go.
1: One who delights
0: in mercy, you can fill us with his truth. You've been encouraged by the creator God, He's created these various creatures down to the depths of the sea and are encouraged by God's calling for you that he created you special as well. You want to take hold of his calling upon you and live for him. Allow him to live in you and out of you. Allowing you to live for your special purpose and your special calling. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit as we pray. or anything else that God's been speaking to your heart through this service, let him work in you. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we praise your name, that you are a unique God. Nothing could be dreamed up that is as wonderful as you are. A balance of truth and mercy, of judgment and forgiveness, of pardoning and setting free. Thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for setting us free. Live in us and through us for your honor and for your glory. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.